I want to welcome you to, uh, again to our worship service this morning. We are very pleased that you all are here. I want to speak this morning. I want to do something a little differently. Um, I tend to uh, shy away from uh, the cultural trends that uh, are going on around us, and it's, it's, it's so easy to get involved in that because it's all in our face all the time. We have so many uh, ways in which to um, view what's going on in our culture, and I'm talking about mostly through social media. We, it's kind of a two-edged sword, social media. It's very good for keeping up with loved ones and friends of the past and those, those kinds of things. It also is, a, is an avenue through which a lot of negativity um, can, can come forth and a lot of error in doctrine, which is really what I want to talk about this morning. And the reason I shy away from it is because cultural things will come and go. What we're talking about in the culture today, uh, even, especially in this day and time, a few days from now is going to be outdated and over with. We'll be on to something else. So I take it upon myself not to get too bogged down in that because I look at the everlasting um, and, and ever-present and, and unchanging will of God. And so that's where I like to focus my attention uh, because these things won't change and we can be rest assured of that. But something came across, um, something that Janae pointed out to me that I thought would um, be good for us to look at and understand some of what we're up against in the world and to see what kind of attitudes and, and things that are out there in society that we, we should be aware of and, and how we ought to be able to, to contradict those kinds of things. This was a post that, let me say this, um, Janae uses social media for her business. She gets the overwhelming majority from, of her work from that. So she'll go out and look for people who are looking for photographers and then she responds to them and she gets a lot of business that way. So this is the reason that she sees a lot of this thing, these kinds of things and brought it to my attention. And the post that she brought to my attention was, was this one. And I've cut off, this is not, uh, um, is not a cancel culture uh, moment here. I'm not trying to, to beat up on this person. That's why I've, their name is cut off of this. It's irrelevant who they are. I don't know who this person is. I have no idea. It's not my, not my intention to shame her or any, anything like that, but rather it's to, to, to give this a real-world appeal and understanding that this is uh, a real post. And this was a post on Facebook that they were looking for recommendations for a church. She says there that her daughter just started college in Sarasota and is looking for a church. Uh, any recommendations for a church that is open and affirming to all, that has young people, that has contemporary worship, and that believes the scriptures are a guide to be discussed and interpreted, but not an infallible document. And there, there's a, a couple of people that have already responded to the post, and I'll talk about some numbers at the end, um, around the Sarasota area that people have started to recommend churches that fit uh, this criteria that this, this lady has put out here for her daughter to attend this kind of church. So seeing that, it just caught my eye and, and, and I, I wonder about 
someone who would ask for these kind of things um, and look for a church that has these things already. And, and it also is striking that there's nothing in there about being pleasing to God, uh, being obedient to God, um, seeking to serve God on his terms, but rather this comes at it from the angle of this is what I want from the church. And so I thought I would spend some time this morning looking at this, looking at this example, and seeing that um, pretty much all of this is counter to what God tells us about his church. So I want to spend some time to talk about that. And again, this is not to shame this person or anyone uh, to, that, to that matter. I did not respond to this person and, and call her out on that. That's not the, the point of this. But the point of this is this idea. Seek and you will find. We just read there, we just sang the, the song there that has that same line in it here from Matthew 7 where our Lord says to ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and it shall be opened to you. The idea here is that if you're seeking something out, um, you might find it. What our Lord says here and the idea that, we, that comes across from this is if you seek out the Lord, truly, you will find him. But if you're seeking these other kinds of things, you, you might find it. It's a good chance you will. And especially given the culture that we live in and our, our religious culture, there's some hundreds, if not thousands, of denominations out there, and each one is kind of tailored to a certain segment of the population. They're trying to be pleasing to people in order to, to draw them in. So if you're seeking some of those things, you might, you might find those things. But let's understand what God wants from us. Let's look and see what he has said about these kind of things. So let's begin here with that first uh, point there, that this lady is looking for a church for her daughter that is open and affirming uh, to all. So open to all, and I approach this as uh, if maybe this lady were asking this congregation, are we these things? So that's kind of the, 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 the way in which I approach this. Is this church here, this local church here in Cortez, Florida, are we uh, subject to these kinds of um, uh, wants that they might have for a church? So are we open and affirming to all? Open to all? Absolutely. Absolutely we are open to all. Go with me, if you would, to John chapter 6. John chapter 6 here, um, Jesus is asked about uh, the, manna, the manna in the wilderness. Um, and he says that they're asking him, Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness, as it is written, he gave them bread out of heaven to eat. And Jesus takes the opportunity to, to teach them the real meaning behind this and, and to carry that forward um, into, into the law of Christ. Verse 32 says, Jesus therefore said to them, Truly I say to you, it is not Moses who had given you the bread out of heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread out of heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down out of heaven and gives life to the world. They said therefore to him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. 
He who comes to me shall not hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that the Father gives me shall come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of my Father who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that of all that has given me, I lose nothing, but raise it up on the last day. And notice verse 40. It says, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him may have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on that last day. Is the Lord's church open to all? Absolutely. As Jesus says here, is the, is the will of the Father that everyone who beholds the Son of God and believes in him, that they are welcome to him. So are we open? Absolutely. We're absolutely open to anyone who wants to come and to uh, see uh, a church worshiping and see what it is like uh, to worship God according to the New Testament pattern. We're absolutely open open to anyone who would want to come here to find that. But what about the second part of that, affirming? Now, if you go and look up affirming and try to find definitions, you kind of all over the map here, especially in application. But I made some assumptions here. If someone was coming to be affirmed in a, in a positive light, I would say, absolutely, we are affirming here at the Lord's church, and go with me to Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10, we have the account here of Peter at the house of Cornelius, and he has seen the vision, and he has understood what God is wanting him to do, and go to preach to this house. And in verse 34 of Acts chapter 10, it says, in opening his mouth, Peter said, I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality. Some translations render that God is not a respecter of persons. God is not concerned about who you are as, as to how you come to him, what culture you are, the color of your skin. He, he's not concerned about that. He doesn't show partiality in that way. But look what he says in verse 35. But in every nation, the man who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him. So affirming, absolutely. Do you fear God? Do you practice righteousness? Then you are affirmed in what you are doing. Because that's what scripture tells us. God is open to anyone who would come in, who believes in Jesus Christ, who, is, who fears him and, and is practicing righteousness in his life. God is absolutely open and affirming to that person. But if we take it the other way, kind of in the negative side of it, and I think this is probably more given our, our current culture, the, the idea of affirming is accepting of anyone's lifestyle who might come into the church and continue in that lifestyle, to be affirmed in what it is that you are doing no matter what. And I can tell you that, no, the Lord's church is not affirming in that way. Go with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We'll begin in verse 9. God is not affirming and accepting uh, uh, a sinful lifestyle. 
of someone in, in, that won't change that lifestyle. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning in verse 9, Paul is writing here to uh, the Corinthian brethren. He says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? That's pretty plain. The unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers shall inherit the kingdom of God. So if we want to understand how God stands on practicing in your life these kinds of things, Scripture tells us you will not inherit the kingdom of God. I didn't say that. Paul said that through the Holy Spirit. God has said that. We simply need to look here and see. And what does he say here in verse 11? And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ in the spirit of our God. Notice the verb tense in that. Such were some of you. So we may be open to all those who come in and affirming of those who, are, who fear God and, and, and do right, but we're not going to be affirmed if we continue in, uh, in a sinful lifestyle. Idolatry, adultery, homosexuality, covetousness, drunkenness, revilers. God says, no, you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. You can change, which is what Paul tells these Corinthian brethren. Such were some of you. Past tense. But what? You were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You might come to the Lord's church, but you can be changed from these practices. You can be sanctified. You can be justified. You can be washed. And therefore, going forward, you would inherit the kingdom of God. The next point in this, where this church that, that they are wanting to find is a church that has young people. Kind of hard to kind of understand it. You know, at some point, you kind of understand that they're looking for someone maybe of their own, their own age group and those kind of things. But really, age is immaterial. It's individual talent that's needed in the Lord's church. Now, what do I mean by that? Go with me to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. You know, God is looking for people to bring their talents uh, into the Lord's church and to, and to utilize them to their best ability. Age is, is immaterial when it comes to all this, so I want us to, 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 to be thinking about it in those terms. In Ephesians 4, beginning in verse 11, Paul here, he writes, he says, And he gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain the unity of faith and of the true knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by the craftiness and deceitful scheming. 
But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body uh, is being fitted and held together by that which every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. So we might come in and say, well, I want, you know, my peer group, I want to have people my own age so that I can uh, associate with them, the social side of that. Age is really immaterial. We want to come into a congregation or a church, and if we have certain talents, put those talents to use and recognize within the established group that there are people there that have certain talents and they are using those talents for what? For the maturing of the, of the congregation so that we're growing together and growing up and growing, and then we're no longer children that are tossed here and there by certain doctrines and trickeries, but we're mature and we're steadfast and we're sound and rooted in doctrine so that we're not tossed here and there. Similarly, over in 1 Corinthians, uh, in chapter 12, Paul again uses this analogy of the body and how every part of the body is, is um, important for the work of the church. Verse 12 of 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, it says, For even as a body is one and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, they are many, they are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jew or Greek, whether slave or free. We are all made to drink of one spirit, for the body is not one member, but many. It goes on to talk about how you don't, you know, don't worry that you're not the eye, because we got to hear also. And, and don't worry that um, you know, you're not the, the ear. We, we need to be able to smell also. Each part of the body has a particular function, and we need to celebrate that and embrace it. We don't need to go looking for a certain age group in the, in the church. We need to utilize the talents that we have. If you look there in verse um, uh, 25, that there should be no division in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. Age is immaterial. What we need to be looking for is that a group that is well-functioning at all levels. And truly, what really needs to be, if this woman were really looking out for her, for her daughter, she'd want to find a congregation that has older and godly women. Look with me over in Titus chapter 2. You know, if, if she were really concerned about the growth and, and the faith of her daughter and, and being taught and, and prospering, she might want to look for a congregation that has older godly women. And why is that? Well, Paul tells Titus here in Titus chapter 2, he says, but as for you, beginning in verse 1, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine, Older men are to be temperate, dignified, sensible, sound, uh, in faith, in love, in perseverance. Listen to this. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be dishonored. And then further, likewise, urge the young men to be sensible in all things. Show yourself to be an example of good deeds, with purity and doctrine, dignified, sound in speech, which is beyond reproach. 
in order that the opponent may be put to shame, having nothing bad to say about us. If we're looking for a, a congregation for our children, we do well to find a congregation that has older people that can teach them. That would be more appropriate than finding a congregation that has uh, just the same age group so that they could engage in the social part of it. And please understand that it's important. It, it, it's great to have um, kids and young people that they can interact and then be friends. And I'm not putting that down completely, but it shouldn't be a priority. We should be looking for somewhere where we can grow, where we can be taught, where we can learn, where we can contribute to the congregation so that that is a body that's well-functioning. And the age of all that's immaterial. The next point there, contemporary worship. I tried to look up definition of contemporary worship and it's all over the place. It really comes down to whatever you want it to be. It will be considered contemporary worship. Um, and it can mean, you know, uh, having fancy um, lights and, and, and smoke and, and all this effects for a stage show. It can mean, um, you know, s sitting around and, and having a breakfast and, 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 and studying from the Bible. It, all manner of things could be thrown into this category, so it's really hard to, to pin down what contemporary worship means. But I can tell you this, that contemporary is super biblical. And what do I mean by that? See that super in front of something? That means that it exceeds, it goes beyond, it surpasses. So if something is contemporary, that means that it's super biblical. It goes past, it goes beyond what the Bible has to say. And that's, of course, that's the meaning, because we're talking about something that we established today, whereas the Bible was completed in the first century. So anything that comes after that is super biblical. If we want to add anything, if we want to put the worship in, in a contemporary setting, then we're going beyond what the Bible has told us to do. Micah chapter 6 and verse 8, says, He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? I always come back to that verse when I think about what, what is at the heart of what God wants me to do. It's really simple. He wants me to do justice. He wants me to, to be even-handed with people. He wants me to love mercy. He wants me to, to, to be merciful to those around me. And he wants me to walk humbly with him. And that means that I, I give myself over to him. I go in this walk with him in the lead. That's what it means. And that's what it simply comes down to. So if we want to be pleasing to God, if we want to worship him, we need to, to hold on to, to those kind of thoughts, to just to walk humbly with our God. We do. We don't need to do anything to supplant his word or to, to go beyond what is said. Go with me to uh, Jeremiah chapter 6. Um, as you're turning there, um, just remember about Jeremiah. Jeremiah was a prophet, of course. He was prophesying during the time, the end of um, Judah as a nation, where God was about to bring 
uh, destruction upon Jerusalem through the, the Babylonian Empire, and Jeremiah is, has been tasked to warn the people that there's, uh, the destruction is coming, you need to turn back to God, you need to do what he says, you need to keep his commandments. So Jeremiah, in chapter 6, verse 16, Thus says the Lord, Stand by the ways and see and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is, and walk in it, and you shall find rest for your souls. Start there in understanding that if you want to find rest for your souls, you need to look back, find the ancient paths. That is, look what God has said so long ago. It still holds true. You still need to hold on to that. But they said, we will not walk in it. Verse 17, and I set a watchman over you, saying, listen to the sound of the trumpet. You know, the watchman was the one who would blow the trumpet when the armies were approaching, to warn the people. When he says, I've set a watchman, and they said, eh, we're not going to listen to that either. Verse 18, therefore, hear, O nations, and know, O congregation, what is among them. Hear, O earth, behold, I am bringing disaster on this people, the fruit of their plans, because they have not listened to my words. And as for my law, they have rejected it also. See, this is the reason that God was going to bring destruction upon Judah, is because they weren't listening to what he had to say. They weren't walking in those ancient paths. Verse 20 says, For what purpose does frankincense come to me from Sheba, and the sweet cane from a distant land? Your burnt offerings are not acceptable, and your sacrifices are not pleasing to me. They might have it that we've got these great things that we can offer as sacrifices, and we can burn these as, a, as incense. It's not what God has prescribed. It's not what God has ordered or asked them to do through command. He's asked them to do certain things, yet they've taken it upon themselves to go beyond that. And God says, your burnt offerings are not acceptable. Your sacrifices are not pleasing to me. You think the same thing might apply to us today? You think the same thing might say, well, here's the scriptures, here's the New Testament. We're going we're gonna to add this to it because it needs to fit our times. We've got these great other things that we can bring in now. We've got sound systems and, and lights and smoke machines. and All that will, will encourage people to be more pleasing to God through their worship. God says, no, because I've given you what you need. I've given you the things that are pleasing to me for you to do. And it's because of this. God is changeless, and so is our worship to him. Now, we don't, work, or we don't worship the same way as they, they did under the law of Moses, as we talked about in our Bible class this morning. That law has been fulfilled. Now we are under the law of Christ, and God has given us a prescription of how we are to worship him, under the law of Christ. Go with me to Hebrews chapter 13. God is unchanging, and so is our worship to him. It's been established. The New Testament was completed in the first century. We don't have any new revelation. We don't have any new prescription of how we are to worship him. He's given it to us. In Hebrews 13, verse 7, it says... Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and considering the result of their conduct, imitate their faith. 
Notice verse 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today, yes, and forever. Remember those who spoke the word of God to you. Imitate them. This is a passing on of, uh, of the traditions that, that go from one generation to the next. And, and the Hebrew writer here says, imitate their faith. They've passed it on down to you. Now you continue that and pass it on down. And why? Because Jesus is the same yesterday and today and forever. So we don't need to worry about changing it. We don't need to worry about adapting it for the time. We just pass it down. God is changeless. And the way that we worship him is changeless. Look what it says in verse 9. Do not be carried away by varied and strange teachings. For it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods to which those who were thus occupied were not benefited. You know, the Hebrew writer talks about the, the, the Israelites became so in, involved in their emblems of worship that they lost sight of what they were doing. That is to be pleasing to God. And it led them away into destruction. He's saying here, hold on to, to the things that you have been taught. Pass those on down to the next generation. And God has changed us. Look down in verse 15. It says, Through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise uh, to God, that is, the fruit of our lips that give thanks to his name. And do not neglect doing good and sharing, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. Continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is, keep doing it. Continually. Keep offering up these, this sacrifice, the fruit of our lips, the praise, the singing that we do, the, pray, the prayers that we do. That's what's pleasing to God. That hasn't changed. Do not neglect what's doing good and sharing. For, for such sacrifices, God is pleased. So the sacrifices that we make now are not bulls and goats, as they did under the old law. They are the fruit of our lips. They are our service to one another. That's our sacrifice. Paul says in Romans 12, in describing it, that we present our bodies as a living sacrifice. That's how we sacrifice now. And with these, God is pleased. And nothing beyond that. He's not pleased with anything that we might come along and add to the worship that we might make it more um, engaging or, or more exciting. God's not pleased with that. Just like he wasn't pleased with those, the, those exotic things that the, the Israelites were sacrificing to him back then. I, he says, I'm not pleased with your burnt offerings. I take no delight in those sacrifices. The same for us today. He doesn't, he's not pleased with things that we add to his word. He wants what he has prescribed. Lastly, believes the scriptures uh, are a guide to be discussed and interpreted, not an infallible document. Is the word of God a fallible document? Is the word of God, is it not an infallible document? Yes, it is. It is an infallible document. If we fall short of that belief, then what do we have? If I can't believe that this is the word of God, then what does my faith mean to me? 
In 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, all scripture is inspired by God, profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequately equipped for every good work. It sounds like to me that all scripture comes from God. And in fact, where it says there, all scripture is inspired of God, the the Greek word there, uh, theopneustos, is the word that's being translated there to be inspired of God. I like actually the literal meaning of that word, theopneustos. It means God breathed. So we put that in there. All scripture is God breathed. Now that doesn't sound like a fallible document to me. That sounds like an infallible document. All scripture is God-breathed, profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness, that we may be thoroughly equipped. We have all that we need. And if it's God-breathed, and I can hang my hat on that, and I can understand that, indeed, this is an infallible document. Go with me over to 2 Peter. Peter writes from an interesting perspective in his letters, and he's going to bear that out in this little passage here. Peter was a witness to Jesus Christ. Remember, Peter was a fisherman, and, God, and Jesus called him to come with him and be a disciple of his, and he, he walked with him for those three years, and he saw the things that Jesus did, the miracles that he performed. He was there on the day of Transfig- the, the Mount of Transfiguration when God spoke from heaven and said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Peter was there when that happened. Peter was there during his trials. When Jesus was going through the trials, Peter was there to see the resurrected, the, the empty tomb, and then he saw the resurrected Christ. So when Peter writes, he writes from that perspective. In 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, beginning in verse 16, it says, For we did not follow cleverly devised tales, when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses to his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, such as an utterance as this was made to him from the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased, and we ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. And so we have the prophetic word made more sure to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. You hear what Peter's saying? I saw these things and others with me. So what I'm telling you, you you do well to pay attention to because I speak from that point of authority. I've seen these things. I'm eyewitness to these things. I was there when God spoke from heaven and said that this is his beloved son in whom he is well pleased. So listen to what I have to say. These aren't cleverly devised tales that we are coming up with. These are things that we saw. So look what he says here in verse 20 beginning. But know this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture is a matter of one's interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. So I might say, well, you know, 
the scriptures are a guide and we can discuss them and we can interpret them, but you know, it, it's not an infallible document. There are holes in it. Do we hear what we just read? No scripture, is, no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit. No prophecy of scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. So we might say, well, I can interpret it this way, and this means that. It's not a matter of that. It's a matter of men moved by the Holy Spirit to write these things down. So it's not up to me to interpret it. It's not up to me to discuss it and come up with our interpretation and then apply that and write these things down and, and put this creed on top of what the Bible might say or take this book out of the Bible because it's not pleasing to us. We don't have the authority to do that. This is an infallible document. This is what we put our faith in. It is given to us all things that we need. Look back in, in verses two and um, two through four of First Peter or Second Peter one. It says, "Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and our Lord Jesus Christ, seeing that His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness." through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises in order that by them you might become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Everything pertaining to life and godliness. We don't need to discuss and interpret scripture. It's been given to us. Everything here has been granted to us. It pertains to life and godliness. We don't need anything more than that. It's been given to us. Seek and you will find. I made mention of as we began. You know, if you set out with a certain parameters of the kind of church that you want to find, you might find it. We had four places recommended when I did a screenshot of that, or when Janae sent me the screenshot of that. Since then, it's 60, 60 plus responses to this looking for recommendations. 60 plus responses. And each and every one of those were pointing them to churches, what we would call the big mega churches around here. Those churches that they, they could find those things. They could find churches that are affirming to all. If you want to set out to find that, you can find a church that affirm sinful behavior. You can find a church uh, where you can require of it that it be con con constituted of certain ages. You could jazz up the worship service. There's plenty of churches that do that. They have, I've heard, they have churches that have coffee bars and gift shops and conference rooms that, that, you can, that they rent out to people to hold a conference, libraries. It's not what the church is about. We don't need to jazz up the worship service in order to, to attract people in. It'll, it'll work, and you'll have these mega churches, but are they following after God's plan? You can even interpret the Bible. I'm sure there's plenty of churches where you could go and, and sit down and interpret the Bible and twist it to meet your own um, expectations and, and thoughts. 
You can, seek, you can seek out all that. But if you do, you won't find the Lord's church. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today, and yes, even forever. The Lord's church is not going to change to meet the cultural whims of the day. The Lord's church is steadfast. It's rooted in sound doctrine. It is established by Jesus Christ himself. The church belongs to Jesus. It doesn't belong to, it, to any man. It belongs to him. And why do we know that? Because he bought it with his own blood. It's his church. He gets to make the rules. And he has made the rules. And he's told us what is good. And he's told us that these things you are to practice from now on. Continually offer up these sacrifices. That's the way it's been established. And that's the way it is to, uh, to remain until the Lord comes again. I want to leave you with this from Psalm 119. The psalmist writes, Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with the whole heart. They also do no iniquity. They walk in his ways. You have commanded us to keep your precepts diligently. Oh, that my ways were directed to keep your statutes. That's the kind of attitude that we ought to have. Let's look to God. Let's walk in his law. Let's keep his commandments and his statutes.